0: PART TWO OF THE BRIDGE BUILDERS By Rudyard Kipling This LibriVox recording is in the public domain Recording by Tony Addison Close to the veranda stood a big night gong, never used except for flood or fire in the village. Hitchcock had called for a fresh horse, and was off to his side of the bridge, when Findlayson took the cloth-bound stick and smote with the rubbing stroke that brings out the full thunder of the metal. Long before the last rumble ceased every night gong in the village had taken up the warning. To these were added the hoarse screaming of conches in the little temples, the throbbing of drums and tom-toms, and from the European quarters where the riveters lived, McCartney's bugle a weapon of offence on sundays and festivals brayed desperately calling to stables engine after engine toiling home along the spurs at the end of her day's work whistled in answer till the whistles were answered from the far bank then the big gong thundered thrice for a sign that it was flood and not fire. Conch, drum, and whistle echoed the call, and the village quivered to the sound of bare feet running upon soft earth. The order in all cases was to stand by the day's work, and wait instructions. The gangs poured by in the dusk, men stopping to knot a loincloth or fasten a sandal gang foremen shouting to their subordinates as they ran or paused by the tool issue sheds for bars and mattocks locomotives creeping down their tracks wheeled deep in the crowd till the brown torrent disappeared into the dusk of the river-bed raced over the pile-work swarmed along the lattices clustered by the cranes and stood still, each man in his place. Then the troubled beating of the gong carried the order to take up everything and bear it beyond high-water mark, and the flare-lamps broke out by the hundred between the webs of dull iron as the riveters began a night's work racing against the flood that was to come the girders of the three centre piers those that stood on the cribs were all but in position they needed just as many rivets as could be driven into them for the flood would assuredly wash out their supports and the iron work would settle down on the caps of stone if they were not blocked at the ends a hundred crowbars strained at the sleepers of the temporary line that fed the unfinished piers. It was heaved up in lengths, loaded into trucks, and backed up the bank beyond flood-level by the groaning locomotives. The tool-sheds on the sands melted away before the attack of shouting armies, and with them went the stack ranks of government stores iron-bound boxes of rivets pliers cutters duplicate parts of the riveting machines spare pumps and chains the big crane would be the last to be shifted for she was hoisting all the heavy stuff up to the main structure of the bridge the concrete blocks on the fleet of stone boats were dropped overside where there was any depth of water to guard the piers and the empty boats themselves were poled under the bridge downstream it was here that peru's pipe shrilled loudest for the first stroke of the big gong had brought the dinghy back at racing speed and peru and his people were stripped to the waist, working for the honour and credit, which are better than life. "'I knew she would speak,' he cried. "'I knew. But the telegraph gives us good warning. Oh, sons of unthinkable begetting, children of unspeakable shame, we are here for the look of the thing!' It was two feet of wire-rope frayed at the ends, and it did wonders— as Perrault leaped from gunwale to gunwale, shouting the language of the sea. Findlayson was more trouble for the stone-boats than anything else. McCartney, with his gangs, was blocking up the ends of the three doubtful spans, but boats adrift, if the flood chanced to be a high one, might endanger the girders, and there was a very fleet in the shrunken channel." get them behind the swell of the guard dog," he shouted down to peru it will be dead water there get them below the bridge Aca. very good i know we are mooring them with wire-rope was the answer hey, listen to the chota sahib he is working hard from across the river came an almost continuous whistling of locomotives "'backed by the rumble of stone. "'Hitchcock, at the last minute, "'was spending a few hundred more trucks of Taraki stone "'in reinforcing his spurs and embankments. "'The bridge challenges Mother Ganga,' said Peru with a laugh. "'But when she talks, I know whose voice will be the loudest. "'For hours the naked men worked, "'Screaming and shouting under the lights. "'It was a hot, moonless night. "'The end of it was darkened by clouds "'and a sudden squall that made Findlayson very grave. "'She moves,' said Peru, just before the dawn. "'Mother Gunga is awake here!' "'He dipped his hand over the side of a boat, "'and the current mumbled on it a little wave hit the side of a pier with a crisp slap six hours before her time said Findlayson, mopping his forehead savagely now we can't depend on anything we'd better clear all hands out of the river-bed again the big gong beat and a second time there was the rushing of naked feet on earth and ringing iron the clatter of tools ceased in the silence men heard the dry yawn of water crawling over thirsty sand foreman after foreman shouted to findlayson who had posted himself by the guard tower that his section of the river bed had been cleaned out and when the last voice dropped findlayson hurried over the bridge, till the iron plating of the permanent way gave place to the temporary plank-walk over the three centre piers, and there he met Hitchcock. "'All clear your side,' said Findlayson. The whisper rang in the box of lattice-work. Yes, and the east channels filling now were utterly out of our reckoning. When is this thing down on us? there's no saying she's filling as fast as she can look findlayson pointed to the planks below his feet where the sand burned and defiled by months of work was beginning to whisper and fizz what orders said hitchcock call the roll count stores sit on your hunkers and pray for the bridge that's all i can think of good night "'Don't risk your life trying to fish out anything that may go downstream. "'Oh, I'll be as prudent as you are. "'Night, heavens, how she's filling! "'Here's the rain in earnest!' Findlison picked his way back to his bank, "'sweeping the last of McCartney's riveters before him. "'The gangs had spread themselves along the embankments, "'regardless of the cold rain of the dawn, "'and there they waited for the flood.' Only Peru kept his men together behind the swell of the guard tower, where the stone boats lay tied fore and aft with hawsers, wire-rope, and chains. A shrill wail ran along the line, growing to a yell, half fear and half wonder. The face of the river whitened from bank to bank between the stone facings, and the far-away spurs went out in spouts of foam. Mother Gunga had come bank-high in haste, and a wall of chocolate-coloured water was her messenger. There was a shriek above the roar of the water, the complaint of the spans coming down on their blocks as the cribs were whirled out from under their bellies, the stone boats groaned and ground each other in the eddy that swung round the abutment, and their clumsy masts rose higher and higher against the dim skyline. Before she was shut between these walls, we knew what she would do. Now she is thus cramped. God only knows what she will do, said Peru. "'watching the furious turmoil round the guard-tower. Ohe, fight, fight then! Fight hard! "'For it is thus that a woman wears herself out!' "'But Mother Gunga would not fight as Peru desired. "'After the first downstream plunge "'there came no more walls of water, "'but the river lifted herself bodily "'as a snake when she drinks in midsummer.' "'plucking and fingering along the revetments "'and banking up behind the piers "'till even Findlayson began to recalculate "'the strength of his work. "'When day came, the village gasped. "'Only last night,' men said, turning to each other, "'it was as a town in the river bed-look now. "'And they looked and wondered afresh at the deep water.' the racing water that licked the throat of the piers. The farther bank was veiled by rain, into which the bridge ran out and vanished. The spurs upstream were marked by no more than eddies and spoutings. And downstream, the pent river, once freed of her guidelines, had spread like a sea to the horizon. Then hurried by, rolling in the water, dead men and oxen together, with here and there a patch of thatched roof that melted when it touched a pier. Big flood, said Peru, and Findlayson nodded. It was as big a flood as he had any wish to watch. His bridge would stand what was upon her now, but not very much more and if by any of a thousand chances there happened to be a weakness in the embankments, Mother Gunga would carry his honour to the sea with the other raffle. Worst of all, there was nothing to do except to sit still, and Findlayson sat still under his mackintosh, till his helmet became pulp on his head, and his boots were over ankle in mire. He took no count of time, for the river was marking the hours, inch by inch and foot by foot, along the embankment, and he listened, numb and hungry, to the straining of the stone boats, the hollow thunder under the piers, and the hundred noises that make the full note of a flood. Once a dripping servant brought him food, but he could not eat, and once he thought that he heard a faint toot from a locomotive across the river, and then he smiled. The bridge's failure would hurt his assistant not a little, but Hitchcock was a young man with his big work yet to do. For himself the crash meant everything, everything that made a hard life worth the living. They would say, the men of his own profession, he remembered the half-pitying things that he himself had said when Lockhart's new waterworks burst and broke down in brick heaps and sludge, and Lockhart's spirit broke in him and he died. He remembered what he himself had said when the Samo Bridge went out in the big cyclone by the sea, and most he remembered poor Hartop's face three weeks later, when the shame had marked it. His bridge was twice the size of Hartop's, and it carried the Findlayson truss, as well as the new pier shoe the Findlayson bolted shoe. There were no excuses in his service. Government might listen, perhaps, but his own kind would judge him by his bridge, as that stood or fell. He went over it in his head, plate by plate span by span brick by brick peer by peer remembering comparing estimating and recalculating lest there should be any mistake and through the long hours and through the flights of formulae that danced and wheeled before him a cold fear would come to pinch his heart his side of the sum was beyond question But what man knew Mother Gunga's arithmetic? Even as he was making all sure by the multiplication table, the river might be scooping a pothole to the very bottom of any one of those eighty-foot piers that carried his reputation. Again a servant came to him with food, but his mouth was dry, and he could only drink "'and returned to the decimals in his brain. "'And the river was still rising. "'Peru, in a mat shelter coat, "'crouched at his feet, "'watching now his face, "'and now the face of the river, "'but saying nothing. "'At last the lascar rose "'and floundered through the mud "'towards the village, "'but he was careful to leave an ally "'to watch the boats. "'Presently he returned, most irreverently driving before him the priest of his creed a fat old man with a grey beard that whipped the wind with the wet cloth that blew over his shoulder never was seen so lamentable a guru what good are offerings and little kerosene lamps and dry grain shouted peru if squatting in the mud is all that thou canst do Thou hast dealt long with the gods when they were contented and well-wishing. Now they are angry. Speak to them. What is a man against the wrath of gods? whined the priest, cowering as the wind took him. Let me go to the temple, and I will pray there. Son of a pig, pray here. Is there no return for salt fish and curry powder and dried onions? Call aloud tell mother gunga we have had enough bid her be still for the night i cannot pray but i have been serving in the company's boats and when men did not obey my orders i a flourish of the wire rope colt rounded the sentence and the priest breaking free from his disciple fled to the village fat pig said peru after all that we have done for him When the flood is down, I will see to it that we get a new guru. Finlinson, Sahib, it darkens for night now, and since yesterday nothing has been eaten. Be wise, Sahib. No man can endure watching and great thinking on an empty belly. Lie down, Sahib. The river will do what the river will do. The bridge is mine. I cannot leave it. "'Wilt thou hold it up with thy hands, then?' said Peru, laughing. "'I was troubled for my boats and shears before the flood came. "'Now we are in the hands of the gods. "'The Sahib will not eat and lie down. "'Take these, then. "'They are meat and good toddy together, "'and they kill all weariness, "'besides the fever that follows the rain. "'I have eaten nothing else today at all he took a small tin tobacco-box from his sudden waist-belt and thrust it into Findlayson's hand, saying, Nay, do not be afraid. It is no more than opium. Clean Malwa opium. Findlayson shook two or three of the dark brown pellets into his hand and, hardly knowing what he did, swallowed them. The stuff was at least a good guard against fever, the fever that was creeping upon him out of the wet mud, and he had seen what Peru could do, in the stewing mists of autumn, on the strength of a dose from the tin box. Peru nodded with bright eyes. In a little, in a little the sahib will find that he thinks well again. I too will. He dived into his treasure-box, resettled the raincoat over his head and squatted down to watch the boats it was too dark now to see beyond the first pier and the night seemed to have given the river new strength findlayson stood with his chin on his chest thinking there was one point about one of the piers the seventh that he had not fully settled in his mind the figures would not shape themselves to the eye except one by one and at enormous intervals of time there was a sound rich and mellow in his ears like the deepest note of a double bass an entrancing sound upon which he pondered for several hours as it seemed then peru was at his elbow shouting that a wire hawser had snapped and the stone boats were loose saw the fleet open and swing out fanwise to a long-drawn shriek of wire straining across gunwales. a tree hit them they will all go cried peru the main hawser has parted what does the sahib do an immensely complex plan had suddenly flashed into findlayson's mind he saw the ropes running from boat to boat in straight lines and angles each rope a line of white fire but there was one rope which was the master rope he could see that rope if he could pull it once it was absolutely and mathematically certain that the disordered fleet would reassemble itself in the backwater behind the guard tower But why, he wondered, was Peru clinging so desperately to his waist as he hastened down the bank? It was necessary to put the Lascar aside, gently and slowly, because it was necessary to save the boats, and, further, to demonstrate the extreme ease of the problem that looked so difficult. And then but it was of no conceivable importance. A wire rope raced through his hand, burning it. The high bank disappeared, and with it all, the slowly dispersing factors of the problem. He was sitting in the rainy darkness, sitting in a boat that spun like a top, "'and Peru was standing over him. "'I had forgotten,' said the Lascar slowly, "'that to those fasting and unused "'the opium is worse than any wine. "'Those who die in Gunga go to the gods. "'Still I have no desire to present myself "'before such great ones. "'Can the Sahib swim? "'What need? "'He can fly.' Fly as swiftly as the wind, was the thick answer. He is mad, muttered Peru under his breath, and he threw me aside like a bundle of dung cakes. Well, he will not know his death. The boat cannot live an hour here, even if she strike nothing. It is not good to look at death with a clear eye he refreshed himself again from the tin box squatted down in the bows of the reeling pegged and stitched craft staring through the mist at the nothing that was there a warm drowsiness crept over findlayson the chief engineer whose duty was with his bridge the heavy raindrops struck him with a thousand tingling little thrills and the weight of all time since time was made hung heavy on his eyelids. He thought and perceived that he was perfectly secure, for the water was so solid that a man could surely step out upon it, and, standing still, with his legs apart to keep his balance. This was the most important point would be borne with great and easy speed to the shore. But yet a better plan came to him. It needed only an exertion of will for the soul to hurl the body ashore as wind drives paper to wafted kite-fashion to the bank. Thereafter the boat spun dizzily. Suppose the high wind got under the freed body Would it tower up like a kite, and pitch headlong on the faraway sands, or would it duck about beyond control through all eternity? Findlayson gripped the gunwale to anchor himself, for it seemed that he was on the edge of taking the flight before he had settled all his plans. Opium has more effect on the white man than the black, Peru was only comfortably indifferent to accidents. She cannot live, he grunted. Her seams open already. If she were even a dinghy with oars, we could have ridden it out. But a box with holes is no good. Finlinson Sahib, she fills. Akka, I am going away. "'Come thou also!' "'In his mind, Findlayson had already escaped from the boat, "'and was circling high in air to find a rest for the sole of his foot. "'His body—he was really sorry for its gross helplessness— "'lay in the stern, the water rushing about its knees.' How very ridiculous he said to himself from his eerie That is Findlayson, Chief of the Kashi Bridge. The poor beast is going to be drowned too drowned when it's close to shore. I'm I'm on shore already. Why doesn't it come along? Tis intense disgust he found his soul back in his body again, and that body spluttering and choking in deep water. The pain of the reunion was atrocious, but it was necessary also to fight for the body. He was conscious of grasping wildly at wet sand, and striding prodigiously, as one strides in a dream. To keep foothold in the swirling water till at last he hauled himself clear of the hold of the river, and dropped panting on wet earth. Not this night, said Peru in his ear, the gods have protected us. The Lascar moved his feet cautiously, and they rustled among dried stumps. This is some island of last year's indigo crop, he went on. We shall find no men here, but have great care, Sahib. All the snakes of a hundred miles have been flooded out. Here comes the lightning on the heels of the wind. Now we shall be able to look, but walk carefully. Findlayson was far and far beyond any fear of snakes, or indeed any merely human emotion. He saw after he had rubbed the water from his eyes with an immense clearness, and trod, so it seemed to himself, with world-encompassing strides. Somewhere in the night of time he had built a bridge, a bridge that spanned illimitable levels of shining seas, but the deluge had swept it away, leaving this one island under heaven for findleson and his companion sole survivors of the breed of man an incessant lightning forked and blue showed all that there was to be seen on the little patch in the flood a clump of thorn a clump of swaying creaking bamboos and a grey gnarled people overshadowing a Hindu shrine, from whose dome floated a tattered red flag. The holy man, whose summer resting place it was, had long since abandoned it, and the weather had broken the red-daubed image of his god. The two men stumbled, heavy-limbed and heavy-eyed, over the ashes of a brick-set cooking-place and dropped down under the shelter of the branches, while the rain and river roared together. The stumps of the indigo crackled, and there was a smell of cattle, as a huge and dripping brahminy bull shouldered his way under the tree. The flashes revealed the trident mark of Shiva on his flank, the insolence of head and hump, the luminous stag-like eyes the brow crowned with a wreath of sodden marigold blooms and the silky dewlap that almost swept the ground there was a noise behind him of other beasts coming up from the flood-line through the thicket a sound of heavy feet and deep breathing here be more besides ourselves Said Findlayson, his head against the tree pole, looking through half-shut eyes, wholly at ease, truly said Peru thickly, and no small ones. what are they then? I do not see clearly. the gods, who else look, ah, true, the gods, surely the gods Findlayson smiled as his head fell forward on his chest peru was eminently right after the flood who should be alive in the land except the gods that made it the gods to whom his village prayed nightly the gods who were in all men's mouths and about all men's ways He could not raise his head or stir a finger for the trance that held him, and Peru was smiling vacantly at the lightning of Part two